Welcome everyone to the In-House Roundhouse, where in-house lawyers, outside counsel, and industry experts gather around to discuss current issues and best practices. I'm your host, Mark Enriquez, a commercial litigator with Wombelbond Dickinson, and we're excited to be recording this episode in Austin, Texas, during the Association of Corporate Counsel's 2018 Annual Conference. This is our second year recording at the conference. We've got some great conversations lined up, so be sure to listen to the future episodes as we cover those topics. We're kicking off our ACC series with Russ Dempsey, Associate General Counsel with AIG Insurance. And Russ, thank you very much for joining us. Tell our audience a little bit about yourself and your background. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. It's, it's a pleasure to join you. Um, currently, as you mentioned, I'm with AIG. But before I was with United Retirement, and I was the chief legal officer there and responsible for the in-house counsel, staff, legal department, and management of outside counsel. And I think that's relevant to the topic today. Definitely. Um, I'm also, that department at the time was recognized by ACC under their value challenge initiative as a value champion. And since that time, I've joined uh, the ACC's board of directors, and I also chair the advocacy committee and helps support the organization by serving as faculty for the Legal Services Management Workshop, where one of the things we talk about is project management. That's terrific. Well, and I know I've, I've tried to talk to a number of GCs through this, and most of them are ACC members. And mm-hmm. I guess as someone uh, from the outside, you know, I want to express my appreciation to the ACC and as a board member. I just think, you know, the events are excellent and the ability to provide that kind of information. I looked over the list of topics covered at this upcoming <laughs> presentation. I mean, it's remarkable the number of panels and speakers. I know it's not easy to put together that kind of program, but I, I think it's a great service to, to in-house counsel, so I'm excited about it. Yeah, terrific. Good. So uh, you mentioned the topic, and it's one that I think a lot of GCs struggle with, and I know you've spoken on, which is really kind of the project management management piece. And, and I know, you know I've now taken a few project management courses, but didn't get any of it in law school mm-hmm. and didn't really think of myself as a project manager. But I think both, both inside and outside counsel have to begin thinking in those terms. I'd like to start with just kind of asking you about um, maybe definitions of project management and your own kind of philosophy of project management, and then we'll jump right into some practical tips that other in-house counsel might be able to apply. Yeah, so I think that's a great question. I'll just give you a little bit of background of what drew me into project management. I think that's a good place to give some background. When I was uh, general counsel at United Retirement, we had some challenges in managing outside legal expenses. And I had tried a number of different value-based billing models. Some of them successful, some of them not so successful. Uh And I started talking to peers and colleagues and looking for ideas on what they were doing, what kind of structures, you know, was it fixed fees? What were they doing? What was successful? And through those conversations with both in-house counsel and outside counsel, one of the things that I started to pick up on early on was many of them leveraged ideas and concepts from project management. That is, those that were successful, and there's actually a survey that looked at outside counsel and it looked at their profitability. And the survey question was, looked at law firms that were proactive with respect to project management as opposed to those that were reactive. And they were more profitable on their value-based billing models if they were proactive. So it made me start thinking, 
all right, why is that the case, right? Why are they having more success? And so project management has a lot of different uh, concepts to it. I think everything f included in the project charter, and you start to break that down and you look at the different elements of a project charter and you know, just defining the scope of the engagement, investing time up front before we start to jump in and, and do the work is just such a hugely valuable step that a lot of times in-house counsel and outside counsel, because of the pressures of the day, just go in head first, right? And we start to figure it out on the fly. But I found that, through this, again, through successes and failures, the more time I would invest up front in you know, project management, you know, defining the scope, setting expectations, building out a communications plan. Um, there have been times I've used a risk chart to help us identify problems and help us plan at the outset of things that we can do differently. Help, help me be more successful. And, um, and at the time I was doing this, that was 2008, 2009, mm -hmm. not a lot of materials on <laughs> legal. You couldn't, just get, you couldn't just search the Google and get the book on legal project management? No. That was it, not available from it, Amazon at a cheap price? It didn't exist. No, right. So I, I read materials on, you know, from you know, off-the-shelf project management resources. And the first thing I, I started to recognize, and you ask about philosophy, is it's a little, I, I want to say a la carte, but I'll use a more modern uh, analogy. I'll say like iTunes. You don't have to buy the whole album, right? right. You pick and choose. If you want that one song, just go for the one song. Mm -hmm. So, and I think that the level of project management that you apply to a given engagement really should be relative to the size of the scope. You know, if we're working on a complex acquisition, and, you know, there's a lot of due diligence. You have multiple uh, parties that are involved. You're going to run a data room. You have to worry about the auditors and those that are doing due diligence and the board and keeping people apprised. Well, we're going to spend more time on working with outside counsel to talk about all these different steps. What's the timeline? What are the deliverables? And that's totally worth it. We're not going to have that same conversation on a single piece of litigation. Right. right? So what's the appropriate you know, resources that you apply to, to a given matter. So, and I do, I do commercial litigation. So mm -hmm. when I think project, I think a case. Okay, right. this mm -hmm. case is a project. You just mentioned a big acquisition is a project. Mm -hmm. Are there other, you know, projects that you bring those skills to that maybe, like, I mean, would a contract, if you're negotiating, you know, simply a, a contract, would you bring project management to that? I guess, how do you, at a very granular, basic level, what are projects that in-house counsel should be thinking about in those terms? Because, again, I, I, oftentimes we have a to-do list, but I don't know mm -hmm. that we always think of that as projects or project management. So what, what's yeah. your view on that? That's a great question. It just triggered a, a thought, and that is, you know, I use project management to be more effective and more efficient. So I'm thinking about what concepts I use for project management to any situation. And to answer your question directly about contracts, it was within that setting where I was negotiating a flat fee with outside counsel on a series of commercial lease reviews where I said, all right, we're going to have seven uh, leases that we have to renew across the country. What's the rate? And we started talking about the rate. And one of the things the outside counsel shared is, Russ, you know, we've worked with you guys before. There's going to be certain provisions where right. it's like rent escalation and other things where you guys just cause us to go back and forth so many times, it's going to be really hard for us to predict how much time that, that's going to take. You know, I listened, I thought, that's, 
That's a great point. What can we do right now? I mean, we're supposed to be, uh, we're, we're trained in foreseeability, right? Right, all right. Let's, let's talk right. about That's it. our job. Yeah, what are these risks? And so we, we talked about the risk, and I fleshed them out on a risk chart. And then we gave them a probability, things that were like a low risk. I'm like, we're not going to talk about that, uh, things that are unlikely. But the things that are likely to occur, like things that would cause the contract to go back and forth that we controlled, that was because of the way we worked, I said, what can we do? And when I was asking the questions, I had no idea what the solution would be. So it's a little bit, you know, kind of being comfortable going out on a limb. And I worked with the CFO and we developed a term sheet. This is the company's position on those provisions that, they, that the law firm was concerned about. And what that enabled the firm to do is just present that to the landlord at the outset and say, here's our position. Are we going to negotiate with you on these things or move on? And so it huh. completely eliminated the firm's concern, and so it helped address the problem the concern had. But most of all for me, it gave me the ability to preserve that fixed fee arrangement. Right, because right, so you, to you took that uncertainty out. Right. You use the term risk chart. I think there may be some listeners that don't know what that is or, or mm -hmm. what that means. Can you just tell, tell those of us that don't use those all the time, what, what do you mean by a risk chart? So just quite simply, we wrote down what the risk that we were concerned with. And it wasn't risk with the engagement as much as what risk would cause the engagement to go from a fixed model to an hourly model. Because mm -hmm. I wanted to work to preserve that engagement. So that's the conversation we had where the firm pointed out, these are the risks as we see them with us giving you a fixed fee. <coughs> and then we talked about the percentage. I think T-shirt sizes are fine, small, medium, large. Don't, right. You know, I didn't do that at the time. Huh. We, we gave them. I kind of like that. a percentage. Like, well, is it seven percent, eight percent? You know how lawyers are, right? So <laughs> we're, we're going to debate every. Right. Point. Keep it simple. Small, medium, large risk. And from there, you start to develop some mitigation strategies. What are the things you can do to address risk in an engagement, and that will help keep it on track, keep your project on track. Gotcha. And that's available. I'm pretty sure it's available on ACC's resources. The the, the risk chart that I put together. So, yeah, no, that's great. I, I think that's a good approach. So when we get back to the the philosophy of of management, are there basic principles that in-house counsel should be thinking about in bringing the principles of project management to bear? Uh, you meant you started off with scope, which I guess is important to understand what the project is. Mm -hmm. um, another one that I hear a lot of people talk about is staffing in terms of thinking about that. Again, from a litigation perspective, that's often one of the things that you know, we try to think about at the outset of the manner is staffing. What, what are some of the other variables that might be important? I know obviously it's going to depend on the project, but mm -hmm. I'm just trying for people that aren't used to, to project management. If you had to say, here are a few things to make sure you're, you're thinking about what would those, be? I would say, Consider what your engagement model is, the billing model. If it's mm -hmm. hourly, you might have different concerns than you would on you know, a fixed fee. Right. And for me, on, on staffing, maybe I'll have an expectation about who the partner is, but if it's on a fixed fee, I don't mind if you train every associate in the law firm. Right. I'm not concerned about staffing at that level. Right. Um, but I, I'm also glad to communicate that point so the firm feels free to take those liberties. If it's an hourly model, I may have more thoughts on staffing. We may have a different conversation. So right. I think, you know, in, in my mind, the first step is what are you trying to accomplish with project management? 
How does it help you manage your expenses or be more effective? In terms of being more effective, I think it is worth time to develop a communication plan on any, any engagement that's of considerable time where it involves multiple stakeholders. You know, who, you know go through the RACI chart, who's responsible, okay. who's accountable. That's another one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I right. think that's really good to do. And it really, I think it improves the relationship between in-house and outside counsel. If you know what I'm expecting in terms of an update, do we have a weekly call? Do we have a weekly get-together? Those kinds of things, you know, outside counsel is not left guessing to what our expectations are. We talk about it and document it. So I think that helps the relationship run a lot and the engagement run a lot smoother. What's been your experience with the level of comfort with outside counsel with these project management approach, some of the ideas, Mm -hmm. um, you know, in project management? Is that... Folks comfortable, inexperienced, resistant, across the board? I think it's similar to, there's an old joke, really going up, being geeky right now, an old joke about alternative fee engagements. And it went something like, it's alternative fees are a lot like high school sex. More people are talking about it than actually doing it. And those that are doing it aren't doing it particularly well. Mm. And I think that's where we have been in project management. Gotcha. Um, but outside counsel, my experience has been overwhelmingly positive that they want to participate in the conversations. One of the things that I see break down is, you know, if I'm working with you as the relationship partner, the expectations, all the details of the project plan, even the billing structure, sometimes don't trickle down through the firm, mm-hmm. right? The associate may not know, he or she may not know what kind of engagement they're working on. And I think there's room for improvement there. Gotcha. That's a good tip. Do you use project management approach for things that are done entirely in-house? In other words, yeah. you're not using outside counsel? Is it a similar approach? How does it, or how does it differ? Yeah, absolutely. So that I shared with you where I started in working uh, with project management on alternative fees. But then I began thinking and realizing there is a value to using it internally as well. And in particular with a large organization where you may have experts in project management. So one of the things I did when I started with AIG is we had a process where we're supporting um, the group that prepares responses to RFPs, how we kind of go to market. And I leveraged our internal project management resource. And uh, the guy's just a terrific expert. In fact, he formally was uh, engaged with uh, NASA and help them with project wow. management. And so he helped us kind of flow chart, a flow chart of the, the workflow. We mapped that out and then we looked at what are the steps that are critical? How can we make this process work better? How do we measure it? Mm-hmm. And so we developed uh, an intake process and some metrics to help us look at the workflow. Um, yeah, and that's all internal. That's helpful. I mean, you're mentioning measurements reminds me of the podcast we just did most recently, and listeners are invited to listen to it, where we talked to Michelin's assistant general counsel about key performance indicators and how you do those. Are KPIs part of a project management approach, and, and how do they function in if you're talking about measurement? Do you do that, and so is there reporting back on this is how we're you know, progressing towards those project management goals? Yeah, I think a couple of things that we typically look for would be if we're on an hourly model, what are the expense reports? What's the time that we've invested in the project? And we're looking for updates on deliverables. Mm -hmm. I think two areas where things can kind of go off track would be time and expense. The other variable, really, if you think about the iron triangle of project management, 
is quality. And in my experience, that's not where law firms fall down, right? The quality of work is there. And that's why we're working with them. Right. It's really, it comes down to time and expense. And, and those are the hotspots. So I think any KPI that would help us identify and keep an engagement on track to address those two points is always worthwhile. The other thing that I like to do is um, have a conversation about what does success look like? What are we trying to accomplish here? Right. And that's so much better at the outset, right? Yeah. That's so much better to say, this is what we're wanting to do. Maybe it is bet the farm litigation, but probably is most of the time it's not. No, that's yeah. right. And, and, and you need to, I mean, as a litigator, I do think that's to echo that point. It's so helpful to have a, an understanding of what the real business objective is. Is it pure dollars and cents? We want to, you know, we want to minimize how much we're spending to fight this case or minimize our, you know, the total payout and the balance. You know, we'll we'll pay an extra fifty thousand dollars in fees if we save two hundred thousand in payout. But if it's a three hundred thousand dollar case, the main determinant on on our total payout may be, you know, how much we're spending on legal fees. And so yeah. it's that proportional. Thing that I think is hard for a lot of lawyers that come at least were trained if they were trained the way I was that you know every case you have to do everything you can to win. Mm -hmm. um, I think that that's an important discussion to have up front to say maybe this is not a win at all costs. Yeah, I think I think you're right. And litigation is a good example of a conversation of success. One that I think is probably where success is more opaque is a, a significant regulatory investigation. What, what is success here, right? right? And it may not be clear to even in-house, but I think it's still fair to the, in, the relationship and the engagement with outside counsel to have the conversation and be strategic. That's the other point I'll make about use of project management is once I get a fixed fee or the fee engagement I'm looking for and we have a discussion about project management, I find that the discussion becomes more strategic. What are we trying to accomplish? We're not you know, reviewing invoices, we're not having conversations about did that memo really take 10 hours of research? It's not a good use of my time. I'm pretty sure all the lawyers I've worked with feel like it's not right. a good use of their time. Yes, so definitely on the least favorite activity. <laughs> for my view, is, let's talk about that 0.4 hour entry on an internal conference and whether that added value. Oh God, uh, yeah, yeah, that's not that's not how you want to be focused on, on yeah. the time. And those that are either less familiar with it or don't like it as much, one of the complaints I hear about project management is it adds another layer of tasks. Oh, well, mm -hmm. now we've got to complete our weekly summary report or we've got to do other stuff and it's interfering with the real legal work. Mm -hmm. how, how, do you, how do you respond to those kind of, do you hear those objections and, and what's the best, yeah. you know, what's the best response? I think that? that's... Completely natural response. It is. It does add a new set of tasks. But again, I, if I go back to where I started to the, the discussion today, thinking about what's the appropriate level of resources, project management time, and resources that we invest to an engagement. Because if we're spending more time on project management than doing the actual work, then it isn't adding value, right? It is a distraction. So I think we should. You know, that's a healthy question to ask and continually do is are we being more efficient and more effective because the time we invested up front that's a good barometer and i think that should be something that you look at for every engagement and use of project management and you can analyze with one of my favorite steps the after action review right? mm. how did it go and we're looking not at not merely the success or failure of litigation or the acquisition but 
the engagement itself, the relationship, how did things go? And I think the exercise of project management is completely appropriate to examine in that process. And that's something I think, certainly I feel like we as lawyers often don't do a good job on is the after-action analysis, right? Every, mm-hmm. Everyone's busy, outside and inside, counsel alike. And so the sense is, we got that big case settled. I'm either moving on to the next case or I'm taking vacation for a week or you know whatever. It's like, yeah. usually the first thought is, oh, well, let's get together and, and debrief. How do you, A, encourage it, and B, do you have issues around who's paying for that? Because I guess to the other you know, challenge sometimes. If you're building a relationship, maybe the fee issue is secondary. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as a litigator, if I've handled a big case and it's over and there's no further case on the horizon, do I get paid to have a, you know, a half-day debrief on what went well and what didn't? You know, how do you deal with those issues? Because my suspicion is one of the reasons it doesn't happen as much as it should is that one is time and the other is money. Back to right. the uh, <laughs> back to the two uh, two key points before you know, making time, and obviously people might make time if they got paid, but there's a sense of, there's no, you know, how much value is there in that kind of dissecting what went well, what didn't, learning from it. I, I think um, this one falls squarely on the shoulders of in-house counsel. Like, what's the expectation? And I think it does vary from situation to situation, whether it's something you pay for or it's part of the fee, right? And that would be part of the discussion up front. Again, mm-hmm. you know, are we going to have an after-action review? For a small matter, it's probably unlikely that you will, but let's say that you had a series of litigation and it was either litigation on a portfolio basis or an acquisition where it's really healthy to stop and do that. And I think the question about budget and expense can come also come down to what does it look like? How much time does it take? Does it, can it be in person? Does it have to be over the phone? And so I think being thoughtful about that, how to how to run one effectively, can also make them recur. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, and I've done a few, and it is remarkable to me if you take the time and capture some of the learning exercise. Mm-hmm. It is interesting to go back in a case and say, you know, we ended up going down that rabbit hole. We did three depositions on that point. It ended up not mattering. What you know? Would there be a way to earlier on say? We didn't need to do that, or we didn't really need to bring that motion to compel, or we didn't. You know, there there are strategic decisions, and if you can do it in a way without a lot of blame or judgment, saying, right. "Well, why did you do that?" You know, and have a discussion about maybe next time we won't, you know, pursue that avenue, or we'll focus on this defense, or we'll tee up our motion earlier. You know, I do think there's a lot of opportunity for learning if you get the right environment, and I think we're often so busy to move on to the next one, we're not. We're not capturing that. Yeah, so you, you touched on something else. So the, the second thing, it reminded me of another point I wanted to make, is it can be uncomfortable, right? I think those discussions, if, if it gets down to a, a conversation about blame, that's going to be unproductive. Right. Um, so I, I just read this article recently called Plussing, and it's this concept that Pixar has. So rather, you know, let's just say that you're the artist and you, you've drawn Woody, and I'm not overwhelmed by your particular drawing right rather than going in and just tearing it apart maybe I'll say you know what I really like how you did Woody's hat and someone else you know can jump in and say you know what and I like this and you can add that and this idea of plussing I think there's a good way to have an after action review where it's a constructive conversation you can leave blame out of it you can look at the things that went well and build off of that or you can look at the things that didn't go so well but you're thinking about how they could do better 
you could do better in the future. Yeah. I, I think that's a, an interesting point because I think one of the reasons they don't happen as much, you know, I mean, partners at large law firms tend to get a sense of, you know, they're not really responsible to anybody, right? I mean, <laughs> we, we don't have a lot of supervisors. We kind of do what we want to do. And so there's a sense of accountability that I think is, you know, creates anxiety among yes. some folks of, do I really want to, you know, I don't get called in and, you know, have everything I've done evaluated. And even if some's good, you know, it's not. Um, so I think that's... That's an interesting insight, right? If it's approached as a way to deepen the relationship and learn and, you know, hopefully it was good and can be better as mm -hmm. opposed to, you know, let's sit down and talk about, you know, why you lost that case and all the things you did wrong. You know, it'll, yeah, I think you'll get a different reception. Yeah. I don't think that's just my experience. I think there is a resistance to, mm -hmm. to wanting to spend the time doing that. And part of it may be this fear of I'm going to get criticized or, or if I admit we could have done it more efficiently there'll be a blame. Instead of a, oh, well, good, we'll, we'll save next time, we're going to get a blame yeah. for criticism. And so one of the things I think some in-house departments are doing is they have a template for how they evaluate outside counsel, and you probably participate on, mm -hmm. participated in those kind of uh, in surveys and they I share have information yeah. back. I think you can have a template as well for an after-action review, so it can take some of the uneasiness out of that conversation where everyone knows what the questions are going into it, and I think just going through it a few times will also take away some of the concerns that uh, you may have. I think that's great. There's obviously a big focus in the literature now, and I see several topics in this uh, ACC meeting around automation, data management, artificial intelligence, you know, different levels. I wonder about whether there are opportunities to automate some of the project management steps in terms of reporting or better communication like you mentioned tracking hours you know is there a better way to integrate so that as we're entering hours they're showing up on your dashboard in real time as opposed to you know other things but I, I don't know if that's something you've looked at I'm, I'm just curious it seems mm -hmm. to me some of that communication reporting might be something that could get automated where you don't have folks on either side spending a long time trying to analyze and aggravate it but it just you know it gets it gets gathered and analyzed and so everyone sees whether it's a dashboard or some other mm -hmm. um, you know result saying here's where we are versus budget you know here's where we are in terms of the reporting I, I don't know if there's been stuff done in that area but that's, yeah. that's what I wanted to ask about great question and I think you know, we're really talking about uh, communication. There's this uh, terrific quote that the greatest challenge with communication is the illusion that it's been accomplished. And because when I'm sitting here speaking, <laughs> I've, right. you know, in my mind, it's coming out crystal clear and you should be understanding the words <laughs> as I have them in my own head. But that's not always the case. So I think technology can be a tool to help us with project management. And one of the things I have seen is law firms building these intranets that they can put their clients onto with dashboards, showing time, status updates, real, you know, as they enter information in real time, you can see what's going on. And I think there's also some vendors in the market that um, have technology that can be helpful. Does it completely on its own? Is, do I think technology is the uh, kind of silver bullet? I, I don't think so, right? I don't think there's... Right technology that you can just buy and plug in and say, all right, great, project right. management. No one needs to talk to each other anymore. <laughs> right? The computers yeah. will talk to each other. We'll just get on with our work. Yeah. yeah, probably not the vision. Right. I think there is this, uh, we still call it a relationship for a reason. So I think those the, the status of the relationship is important. Communication is important. And I think it still comes down to, to people 
um, talking and, and making, moving things forward. And I'm glad you mentioned relationship because that's kind of the, the last question or topic area I thought we'd cover is a little bit around teamwork and building it. And I'm mm -hmm. interested, um, you've obviously worked with a lot of outside counsel, you've been a general counsel, maybe tips for both sides. Most of our listeners are in-house, but we have other folks like me that work with firms, you know, are on ways to improve the relationship. And I guess maybe as part of that, given our topic around project management, you know, ways to even have a discussion about project management. I mean, I'll say I've got clients that use project management and actually talk about it, but I've got other pretty substantial clients that are just, they don't use that approach. They're, mm -hmm. here's a case and we'll talk about it. And some of the communication happens, but there's not the normal structure around it. So what, how, how do we improve that dialogue and what are some of the key ways to promote that teamwork? Always happy to share advice for outside counsel. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm going to start with the critique of in-house counsel, to be fair. So I think one of the things that we have to do is be more clear with expectations, right? Spend time developing the scope. I participate in roundtables all over the country, and one of the criticisms of outside counsel is, you know, the scope of the engagement. You know, one thing led to another, and they were doing all this work that wasn't, in their view, relevant. And I always turn it around and ask, did you say don't do that? Mm -hmm. right? At the outset, what is the scope? Well, that includes not just what we want you to do, but what are the things we say are outside those bounds? And let's have that conversation as well. So I think that's a starting point for in-house counsel. And that can save a lot of frustration because I think that is a point of frustration and it's fairly easy to remedy for the most part. And, and let me interrupt you. I'm sorry. Yeah, Russ. Yeah. I mean, is that typically set out in writing? I mean, I think an understanding of scope is good. When, when you say scope as an outside counsel, I'm thinking, well, hopefully the engagement letter sets it out. And, yeah. and I'll say, I think it's a little easier for us litigators because it's usually defend this lawsuit, right? And mm -hmm. so, you know, that everything that goes into it, although we may have big, we may have discussions around, I didn't anticipate, uh, you know, a motion to compel, or I didn't anticipate adding additional defendants, and does that change the scope? Where I hear even more frustration is often on a more transactional side where the engagement may say, we'll advise you in the acquisition of ABC Inc., mm -hmm. and then they come in and say, holy, th this deal has, has changed dramatically, right? It's an acquisition, but now, you mm -hmm. know, the financing has changed, and there's a third-party buyer, and we're restructuring. And so that's where I just wonder, how is that scope defined, you know, for outside counsel. Is the engagement letter the right definition or do you actually, as part of your project management, do you come up with a, a scope document that would be closer to what you might see in a, you know, software development contract, you know, where you would say, okay, here's our definition of the, of the project. I'm just, you know, how, what's the best way to communicate that to avoid some of these misunderstandings? Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting question. Probably one that I wouldn't have thought of on my own because I spent a lot of time negotiating, you know, value-based billing models. So, I, you know, we're going through, and let's take litigation as an example, we're going through the different phases of litigation. We're, we're, we're putting together some estimates on the amount of document review, the number of depositions, and we're scoping it out. So, to get to the price, those things are like tied together. Sure. And I think even if you're on an hourly model, right, project management is extremely valuable because it can impact the number of hours that you put in. So I think thinking about the budget up front, whether irrespective of whether it's you know hourly or a value-based model, will help kind of flesh out what I'm trying to convey as 
as a scope. Okay. And it could go into the engagement letter. It could be another document that's referenced in the engagement letter. But that's really what I have in mind is you know, the, the scope of the work that ties to what we're paying for and you're willing to provide is something that is described in writing. Gotcha. And that's where, and I interrupted you, but you were saying it is important for outside counsel maybe raise your hand when, you, when it's outside scope and say, do you really want us to do that? As opposed yeah. to do it and then fight about trying to get paid later. <laughs> right. you know, to use a to construction analogy, you don't just go ahead and build the swimming pool and then say, <laughs> you know, and then say, hey, pay us for the swimming pool. You might want to say, hey, the, the house doesn't, the, these plans don't have a swimming pool <laughs> yes. you know, in, included. And yes. so if you want a pool, uh, we have to talk about that before we build it. Absolutely. I agree okay. completely. Gotcha. Good. How about other tips? And you said you'd be happy to give advice to, to the outside <laughs> counsel. What, what are some of your, I know you've done that on panels, but what are a handful of key points there? Well, I think what, you know, for outside counsel, one of the things that is top of mind is uh, always keep in mind what's the issue that the, your client's trying to solve. And I, I think it's more, what I'm trying to say here is more than, you know, understanding your client's business or understanding the piece of litigation or the deal. It's what is it that the business is trying to accomplish? And I, I, heard, I once heard someone say, businesses have business problems, not legal problems. And it, you know, if you disagree with that, just take any, any particular problem the business is trying to solve and you throw money at it. If it goes away, that's a business problem. There you go. And you know, it's not to say as an overstatement that there aren't legal problems, right? If someone can be wearing stripes, then we need to have a different conversation. Uh, and that's a legal issue. But I think, you know, really think about what's the business objective and how is it that as a service provider, a law firm can help the client move forward to that objective? Because I, I, I'm pretty sure, you know, none of the corporations in America or, or around the globe are, you know, fixated on, you know, winning litigation, right? It's not part of their business plan. Right. They're there to sell products and services. And, you know, how is it that, you know, this particular transaction is going to help them do that? And I think that's uh, something that we always have to keep in mind. Great. No, that's a, I think that's an important, that's an yeah. important tip. And it fits into the project conversation as well, right? It's, you know, this isn't uh, a piece of litigation for the sake of litigation. There's, there's a business objective there. And it, you, it may take some peeling back of the onion to get to what is it that, they, that the business really wants to accomplish. It may not be apparent. Great. Terrific. Well, I, I appreciate you spending the time to talk to us. And this, I think really, you know, we've hit on project management. We've gotten into some other interesting uh, aspects of that whole communication puzzle, which I think is, is helpful for our listeners. So I appreciate that. Um, if listeners want to hear more or do you have any upcoming speaking engagements or is there a way for folks to get in touch with you if they have further questions or are trying to implement their own project management approach? Yeah, always happy to, to talk shop, um, whether it's project management or value-based billing. I'm going to give, uh, my, my email is uh, russ, R-U-S-S, dot Dempsey at AIG.com. Great. Yeah, happy to answer any questions or have a conversation about this topic. Terrific, Russ. Well, thank you. And thank you for joining us on the In-House Roundhouse. Remember, you can subscribe to the In-House Roundhouse on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. You can find all our previous episodes on the Womble Bond Dickinson website. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to check out others 
that we're recording here in Austin. If you feel so motivated, I also encourage you to give us a five-star review on iTunes so that others can find the podcast. Thank you for listening. I look forward to seeing you at the next station.